Well, I was 16 years old. I was in high school in Wisconsin, and I had a best friend. His name's Bronson. Bronson and I were like the kind of friend that the teachers made sure you, they separated you in class. Did you have a friend like Bronson? Where we never got to sit by each other because we would just, we had too many, you know, jokes and things and giggles and we'd get the whole class going. And so Bronson and I usually sat opposite sides of the room, which was probably started in like first, second grade, all the way up to now, my sophomore year. I'm 16, maybe my junior year, I was 16, turning 17. And, and all I remember, it was English class, Mrs. Esslinger, and we were in the second to the last row. And I, I kind of, you know, there's a clock in the back of the room. You ever, you remember those days when all the work is done in class and you're kind of just kind of waiting for the, the bell and you look at the clock and, you know, okay, you go back to doing something you look back up and it's like one minute <laughs> further, you know? It was one of those moments and I'm just like, man, let's go, let's go, let's go. I had PE. PE was my favorite class. I mean, I took every PE the school offered. I thought maybe I was going to be a PE teacher and a coach. That was like my thought and dream, and I still think that's awesome. Um, but um, I lean back, and I'm just kind of waiting for the bell to ring, and I look at Bronson, and Bronson's over here, and he's saying something to me. He's, he's lipping words. And I look over at him, and he, this is what he said to me. I'll say it to this side first. He said, yeah, right? You get it, right? This is what he said. And I go, you love me? So I said the same thing back. I'm like, I love you too. You know, and after class is over, I'm like, bro, that was kind of weird. Well, what do you, you know, and he goes, I didn't say I love you. I don't know what you're talking about. I go, what, what did you say? He goes, I said olive juice. Olive juice. If no one's ever taught you this, please allow me. If you lip the words olive juice, it looks like you're saying, I love you. So we went on, Bronson and me, to terrorize every girl in the school and female teacher with olive juice. We became known as the olive juice twins, you know, even to the point where I got called into a teacher's office to be asked to stop sharing olive juice all over school because it was just getting weird. And I thought that's pretty funny. But then I, I started thinking about that term. And if you squeeze an apple, what comes out? Squeeze an orange? Squeeze a grape? Squeeze an olive? What makes olive juice oil? The texture? I mean, somebody explain this to me, because I think it should be called olive juice. Just saying. Vegetable, not a fruit. Thank you, David. Thank you very much, David. I appreciate you. Go back in your box. <laughs> I saw you, by the way, have a little hard time getting out of there. I was like, that's a good trick. We should put a little latch on the outside of this. Then. <laughs> you know? We're going to, we're going to, and there's a reason why I told you about olive juice, and I'll get to that. But I want to just start today with an ancient praise of God's people from Psalm 23. God's people from, for years and years and years would say this praise. From Psalm 23, um, verse 4 and 5. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. 
You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Now, key word there is you, anoint, you, uh, you anoint my head with oil. What kind of oil you think was, the, uh, was used to anointing the heads? Boom. It was olive juice. Yes? And my cup, another key word there, we're going to refer back to my cup overflows with blessings. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And through this season of Lent, as we prepare for the, the celebration of your resurrection, of your coming back to life, God, help us to reflect on your holy passion. And may our love for you and may our love for others be rekindled, that we might live sacrificially for you. And help us to lean in and learn from your word this morning as we follow you with tender hearts and open minds. Amen? Today, we're going to reflect on one of the darkest hours of Jesus' entire life and how it affected him, how it shaped him, and how we can learn from it. In the scriptures, uh, it's, it's in Matthew 26, and I'm going to read a little context here, and then I'll kind of explain Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Say that with me. Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been overwhelmed with sorrow? To the point of even death. Jesus was there this night before he was betrayed. Stay here, he says. Keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done. That was in Matthew. In the book of John, one of the other Gospels, he, he, he kind of re- recollects it like this, John 18. He says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and, and, and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew this place very well because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. You see, Jesus spent a lot of time under the shade of the olive tree. The olive grove mentioned above is the Garden of Gethsemane. Go ahead and show the image. So it said after Jesus had been done praying, he went through the Kidron Valley below, through Gethsemane, the garden, and you see the Mount of Olives up on the upper left. He kind of went out of town. You see, the, the mount is where Jesus loved to hang out. It was a little bit away from the crowds. And Gethsemane, you know what Gethsemane means? It means oil press. You see, the Garden of Gethsemane is where they would take the olives and they would press them and crush them to produce oil. Olive oil. The next picture is kind of cool. And that's, that's kind of what it looks like. There's, there's different ways to do the press. There's different types and, and weights of stone that would be used to crush the olives. There was this crushing pressure. And it's fitting that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and near the Mount of Olives because it's here that Jesus experiences 
the most intense, crushing pressure of his life. Spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically. Jesus begs for another way. An alternative to the terrifying death that was ahead. But there is no other way. You see, a Jewish death, Jesus was a Jew, would have been much quicker. It would have been with stones. It would have been in a public place, but it would have been fast. He knew that this was a Roman trial. He knew that it would have been at the hands of the Romans, which, mean, which meant a long death, crucial, excruciating, and very public, and humiliating. So in that moment, think about God the Father. In that moment when Jesus said, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. God doesn't give him an answer. But we do see that he gives himself. You see, if you're going to understand a story in Scripture, you want to hear from all the different angles and all the different perspectives. And each gospel tells the story of Jesus in the garden. And only one mentions that God sent an angel to minister to Jesus. You want to guess which one? The good doctor. Luke's gospel. Luke, being a physician, understood that Jesus was in, under intense pressure, even to the point where he sweat blood, which is an actual medical condition that you are, a person is under so much anxiety and the body is under so much pressure that the capillaries expand to where their actual sweat glands sweat blood. And so Luke thought it was fascinating that God sent an angel. Now he heard this second, second story from Peter. He, he, he followed Peter and collected a lot of Peter's, um, you know, stories, and he wrote that gospel. He, didn't, he wasn't there, but Peter was. So was James and John. And so he says, man, God didn't answer his prayer, but he, he answered him with himself. He sent an angel to strengthen him through the night. That leads me to ask you today, what unanswered prayers are you carrying right now? What do you have that has yet to come to fruition or come to a place where you are hoping, God, please? Maybe it's a prayer for a child. I understand that one very well. Maybe it's a prayer for a relationship, a loved one, a family member. Maybe it's a, a prayer for marriage to be equally yoked, to, to have a partner that, that, that loves the Lord as you do. I just want to take a moment, and I just want to pray right now for those unanswered prayers, because Jesus knows what it's like. He experienced a request that was not granted the way he had wished, but you see his heart was turned towards God, your will, not mine. But let me just pray for those unanswered prayers. Father God, we offer these hopes, we offer these longings, these battles to you once again. And where there are no answers, for whatever reason, Father, we choose to open our hearts and receive the gift of your presence. And as Jesus so poetically said, not my will, not our will, but your will be done for these requests. Amen. Here's another question. Who do you know that seems to be under an intense amount of pressure right now? Think about, maybe it's you. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's 
Someone that you're aware is just feeling the anxiety and the intense pressure. Maybe you need to be driven or led to, to pray for them, to lift them up in their time of need. Whenever I get into conversations with young people, it's, uh, it's one of these things like, Ryan, you'll be, you know, have experienced in your time. And Amy, I know you're working with students. And Bucci in the back, all these awesome student leaders. Um, you ask kids about God, and a lot of times they'll come to like, hey, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? Or it gets to this question, this, this kind of situation, kind of similar to where Jesus was. If God's all-powerful, then why is there suffering and pain in the world? That's one of the biggest questions young people ask. We had the joy of seeing what we had been praying for for months come to fruition just a few weeks ago when I asked you guys to pray for our first FCA gathering with students and, and, and teachers and coaches, and we had it a few weeks ago, and it was an awesome first session. We had teachers flipping, like making waffles and, and, and making scrambled eggs and, and, you know, sausage, and kids came in, and we had this great conversation. And I know those conversations are going to lead at some point to, like, hey, man, I know, God, you say he's there for me, but, man, why did he let my parents, you know, get a divorce? Or why did he let my favorite uncle die of cancer? Why is life so hard right now for me as a teenager? Where's my hope, you know? And I think God can answer prayer, and, and he does answer prayer. But this time with Jesus, I think you could make an argument that he didn't. And why? And here's why. I think sometimes there's a purpose for our pain. Hear me. Hear me, friends. There is a purpose for our pain sometimes. Lisa Turkhurst. She's a woman, she, she, she um, founded Proverbs 31 Ministries about 25 years ago. And she visited the Holy Land, and one of the things, I was listening to a podcast, a leadership podcast, and she said, you know, this Holy Land trip, the one thing I'll remember the most is when I walked through the Olive Garden and the Garden of Gethsemane. I learned some things there that were so, like, mind-blowing. And so I'm like, cool. And I'm going to share them with you. Lisa said this. There are three truths of the olive tree. Number one, an olive tree will not produce fruit unless it experiences the harsh winds of the east and the refreshing winds of the west. It needs both. You see, the east was where the, de the desert was, and so it brought hot winds, sand. Think, think like a desert sandstorm. It could wither grass in a day if it was coming through. But the, the winds from the west came from where? The Mediterranean Sea. It brought water. It brought rain. It brought refreshment. And so the olive tree needs both the harsh times and the refreshing times to produce good fruit. And friends, so do we. So do we. The olive tree understands the need for hardship and relief. So these crushing times that we sometimes feel are necessary times. Yes? The second thing Lisa learned about olive trees is once the olive tree has produced its fruit, it's not useful until it has gone through a curing process to get rid of two things, the hardness and the bitterness. If you pick an olive in October and pop it in your mouth, it would be hard and bitter. You might even get sick because it's just not right. It's not ready. 
And so it goes through this process of curing. They wash it. They kind of roll it. If, they're, if it's going to be an edible olive and not a, not a squeezed olive or oil, they're going to kind of put some pressure on it and roll it and get that pit out, but not crush it. And then they're going to soak it in salt water and then rinse it and then repeat that process of kind of slowly pushing more pressure on it and soaking it and rinsing it. And it's a curing process. It's very lengthy to be cured of bitterness. And if we're to escape the natural bitterness of the human heart, we have to go through a long process as well. You see, Pastor John Bevere wrote a book called The Bait of Satan, and he says, if you take the bait that Satan offers, which his bait is to become easily offended, that if you can become a person, if he can get you to become a person that's easily offended, he does not have to worry about you anymore because you will continue to walk around in your cloud of bitterness and unforgiveness. And so don't take the bait. It takes time to be cured of our bitterness. So the crushing times are times that we are being processed. The third thing that Lisa remembers of the olive tree is what's most valuable isn't the olive. It's the oil. That's the most valuable thing from that tree. Olives get beaten from the tree. This is how they harvest. In Jesus' time, they would shake the branches. They would, I mean, those trees are gnarly. Those, they can live for a couple hundred years, and they would either climb up and shake the branches, or they would take sticks and beat the olives down to the ground. And then they would be gathered up and put into one of those stone basins that you saw earlier, and then slowly crushed. But they would put a, a light stone on first as to give it just a light crushing. And that first crushing would produce the extra virgin oil. I know you were wondering about that. Like, how do you, what do you get the virgin oil for? Who's called it a virgin, you know? Well, it's that very first press of oil. In, in the time of Christ, that first crushing was given to the temple. And they used it to keep the torches and the menorah lit. They used it for anointing the priests that the, the Levite clan were the, the clan that were trained as a child to become a priest. And when Levites' men turned 30, they would come to the temple, and they would get anointed with olive juice, and they would start serving God and serving through the temple in the different parts and places throughout the week. 30 years old. How old was Jesus when he started his ministry on earth? 500 Jesus points to this side. You said it first. You guys got to catch up. Yeah, 30 years old. Jesus, I mean, could Jesus have started as a teenager? Could God have given him that wisdom and power and strength? Yeah. But Jesus himself needed to go through a process in order to be ready and prepared. That's all I can say is that's my interpretation. He, for some reason, God waited till he was 30. Maybe it was had to do with this whole rabbi priest thing and being anointed. He was anointed when John the Baptist baptized him and from heaven. It opens, a dove comes down, and God himself spoke. This is my son. I am so proud of him. You can listen to him. That would have been powerful. The, the second crushing that was used with a heavier rock was used for like burial processing and medicine. It was used for like a medicinal purpose. 
And then there'd be a third crushing, and the final crushing, and that was used for, like, that oil was used for household purposes, cooking, cleaning. If someone got sick, they, they wouldn't take a, a, a shot of whiskey back then, right? They would take a shot of olive oil. Olive oil was like Windex to Greeks, you know? It was a, you saw the movie, right? It's just, it works for everything. Well, that, that's, well, that was olive oil. It was just used for everything. So the best way to preserve an olive for the long run is to crush it and extract the oil from it. The same is true for us, guys. The biblical way to be preserved is to be pressed. And being pressed sometimes feels like being crushed. But what about this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 8? 2 Corinthians 4, 8, where it says we're pressed but not crushed. I started thinking about that verse, and I'm like, well, I, better, I got some explaining to do. Because it, it's like, this kind of does that contradict things? And so I, I started reading that scripture. And if you ever, listen to me, friends, if you ever want to understand a verse, and a lot of us pastors will spit out a verse at you, and you'll go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But if you're like, I, I want to know more about the context, then read the whole chapter. Better yet, read the whole book. And get a better understanding of, like, what, was he, what did he mean when he said we're pressed but not crushed? Okay? Now, I'm going to start at the beginning of this section in 2 Corinthians 4. Because I think it's very relative and very relevant to, to us here today. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Oh. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel. That displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Is that relevant? Do we see, I call what's happening in the world today the great deception. There is so much deception going on out there that it's just causing so much division. Deception causes division and misunderstandings and miscommunications. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. I'll continue to read. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. This is Paul talking to this church in Corinth. He's talking to us here still today. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure. Listen to this verse. We have this treasure in clay jars, jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. You see, the church in Corinth, they had some talented leaders and and people that would share Scripture and then talk about it, and people would go, man, I like this guy. I'm going to follow this dude. And it's very human nature to want to kind of take two people and compare them and say, ah, this one's better than the other one. You know? I mean, we do it everywhere. We do it in the produce section in Fred Myers, and they're like, ah, this, this avocado. You know, we like to pick and choose which is better. And that's what they were doing in Corinth. And Paul's like, guys, forget about it. Jesus is best. Everyone is is just the rest. So focus on Christ, his power. And that's what he's trying to say. But here's my, my question. He talks about this treasure that is Christ in clay jars. Jars of clay. You have to understand, jars of clay were not special. I mean, they were used for so many different practical reasons, but they weren't for treasure. So you got to go, hold up, hold up. Paul said something a little contradictory here. Let's dig deeper. Let me keep reading. I got to find where I was reading. Okay. 
that, this is where we get to the scripture we put up here. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. Now, I need a little audience participation because this is some pretty good news. You see, there's a purpose for our pain. Okay, so when I read a section of this scripture, you're going to say amen. And I'm going to keep reading. Are you ready? Clear your throats. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are not persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Amen. Amen. The Life Application Commentary says this about this text that we just said together. Clay pots leak. They chip. Clay pots were not attractive. By design, they're simply functional. Their plain appearance, appearance doesn't detract from their contents, though. You see, often we're discouraged by our imperfections. We feel inadequate. We feel ineffective. This verse teaches, however, that our imperfect humanity is no hindrance for God's holy purpose. That a person's flaws, scars, chips, and cracks allow for the presence of an all-sufficient God to leak out. So what the commentary is saying is we need to leak Jesus a little bit more. That wherever we go, there is just Jesus everywhere. Like an old Honda. You're just leaking everywhere. An old Jeep, I should say, for Pastor Paul. Right? And so let me think of of this. Let's think of it a different way. If I was to ask you to make a list of everything you wish was different about you, how long would your list be? My list would have been a lot longer as a 16-year-old boy in school than it is now, but guess what? It's still pretty long. If you had to make a list of everything you wish was different, how long would it be? What would be at the top? In what areas of your life do you feel inadequate? Where you just don't measure up or where you just don't get it or you just keep tripping over the same problem? Even Paul in Scripture understood, I I do what I ought not to do. I can't stop myself. He understood the the challenge of temptation, sin, and, and wanting to do what's right. It can make us feel inadequate. Now, taking what I just said in those last two questions, can you come to a place in your heart where you can reflect on those things and even thank God for the way he's wired you? It could be tough for some, yeah? But those are the unique things that make us have purpose. Let me explain why. Many people will see Christ in you And many people will be drawn to you when they see your imperfections. If you're comfortable in them. Maybe a story is better said for this. Paxton Williams was seven years old and he wanted a puppy. Paxton Williams lived in Minnesota. His mom and dad took him to look at golden retriever pups. He chose this puppy. You see anything unique about the pup? He was born without a right front paw. 
Now he had lots of puppies to pick and choose from. And he was looking at different puppies and he goes, I want that one. And the lady that was selling the puppy said, sweetheart, this puppy won't fetch a ball like all the other puppies. And this puppy won't run around with you in the backyard like all these other puppies. And he goes, nope, that's the one for me. You see, Paxton was born without a right leg. And he walked around with a, a, you know, a, a fake leg. And so here's a picture of Paxton. He named him Marvel. And he loves his little puppy. And that prosthetic leg and that little puppy that has a limp is just the perfect puppy for Paxton. In his imperfection, he found a partner. Nobody will love this puppy more than I can, he said. That's powerful. So what you think is weird, God thinks is wonderful. What makes you feel insecure? God looks at you and says, hey, let me let you in on a little secret. I don't make mistakes. Yeah. Psalm 139, 14, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are marvelous, and I know that full well. So the crushing times in our lives are times that we are being preserved, that we are being prepared. Sometimes what keeps us from growing, this is a quote from Craig Groeschel, and it was his leadership podcast that I heard Lisa talk about her Holy Land trip and the olive trees. He said, sometimes what keeps us from growing the most is the pain that we are unwilling to endure. Think about that. What keeps us from growing the most is the pain that we're unwilling to endure. I mean, what olive grows up excited to get crushed? You know? What person wakes up and says, I can't wait to have a rotten day? Said no one. No one wants to have their heart crushed, but being wounded in deep places happens. And sometimes it just seems to be part of the rhythm of life. And when those hard times come and we feel it very deep into the very bones of our soul, we wonder if other people have hard times too. It's in those difficult times that we feel the most isolated in our pain. I think that I'm speaking from my experience and my pains. When hard times come, we feel like we're all alone. And it's just not so true. But, you know, anybody in here scrapbook? Anybody grow up scrapbooking? One? One person. Great. This is going to be really relevant. <laughs> anybody in here have a Facebook or Instagram account? Yeah? Okay, good. Um, why don't people post pictures of the worst times of their life? Why don't you put pictures of in your scrapbook of times that you were at your worst. Because we don't want to remember those times. We want to we remember and memorialize the great times, those times at Disneyland and those birthday parties and that little puppy that you just got or what funny thing your cat or kid just did. Yeah? We don't snap pictures of the crushing times and post them on Instagram. Sometimes we're in a place where we are just going, God, I'm just trying to survive. It's been that way for a lot of us these last couple years, yes? I'm just trying to survive here. Can I get a little help? 
when the doctor calls and he says he needs to talk to you about the tests that they took, but he doesn't want to do it on the phone. <sighs> just tell me, Doc. I just need to know. Anticipation is going to crush us, right? Vangela and I have had too many of those calls. She's like less than two weeks removed from uh, appendix surgery. And so, yeah, that was a fun night. You know, it's like, okay, we've all, we've all felt that. Or when the teacher, how about this, when the teacher sends a message home or emails you and says, I need to talk to you about the behavior of your son or daughter. And you're like, oh, what did he do now? You know, what did she get caught up into? And you're like, just tell me. I don't want to wait. Put it in the email. Or when someone shares online something that feels like a dagger to your heart. Cuts deep. I suspect you know about this tear-filled place I'm talking about. Jesus knew that feeling also. He knew the crushed heart feeling. He felt it. He knew what it felt like to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He wrestled with it. He carried it. I don't think it was a coincidence. The olive tree was where this moment happened for Jesus. See, the olive tree is such a picture of why our hearts must go through the crushing times. But here's something we must remember. When the sorrowful winds of the east blow, I forget sometimes that they're necessary in order for us to grow. And when I'm being processed, I forget it's for the sake of getting rid of my bitterness. It's getting rid of the things that just aren't helpful to me or my family or loved ones or others. And when I'm being crushed... When I'm being pressed, I forget that it's for the sake of my preparation. I forget these things really easily, guys. I choose the easy way more often than the hard way. It's just honest. Maybe God knew that we would forget too, and that's why he created olive trees. That's why he created olive juice. Now, we have some kids with us here this morning, and I know the kids' ministry is going to be starting up here after Easter and stuff, but I thought about writing a story about an olive growing up on a tree. Let's call him Ollie. And I thought, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to share a little story, a little kid's story about an olive. Think about the olive growing up on a tree. His name is Ollie. Ollie's favorite part of the day is the sunrise. He gets to soak in the rays, just hanging with his peeps. Looks a lot like me. When the, wind, when the winds bring storms, Mother Tree protects Ollie and keeps him close. Birds swoop in and peck at his body, but he's way too tough for them. Bye-bye, birdie, Ollie says as they fly away. One day, Mother Tree begins to shake, and someone's beating the branches with a stick. Dazed and confused, Ollie falls to the ground and is gathered up with his buddies. They dump him out of this sack onto a hard stone surface. A huge stone begins rolling at him. Ollie thinks, this is just like Raiders of the Lost Ark. But this time, our hero doesn't escape. Over and over, the stone squeezes Ollie and his friends, and slowly everything inside begins leaking out into jars of clay. And then something amazing happens. Ollie and his buddies, they get poured out 
into this beautiful, clear vase. And a priest comes and takes the oil to the temple nearby, and they pour it into a large torch to keep the temple lit. And that's when Ali realized that he was created for a special task. There was a greater purpose, and that made it totally worth the pain for Ali. That night in the garden around the olive trees with Jesus, Jesus felt the crushing pressure of all of our sin. The weight of the world's sin was on his shoulders. And we have the joy of knowing the end of the story. We understand how the story ends. Jesus won victory over death. We have eternal life for everyone who believes in him. But pain makes us think that we are at the end of our rope. But the truth is, we are never at the end of hope. Amen? Amen. One of my favorite words in Scripture, as I close this up, is tetelestai. Tetelestai. Say that with me. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. Jesus said it on the cross. One of the last words, I think is the last word he spoke. You know what it means? It is finished. It's a beautiful word. Jesus has done the heavy lifting, friends. All the crushing times in our lives are opportunities for Christ to demonstrate his power in our weakness. We teach our kids this song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones, We are weak. He is strong. We teach it to our kids. How, why is it so hard for us to believe it and live it? I showed my mom the olive juice little trick, you know. Oh, I love you too. And I said, no, it's olive juice, mom. <laughs> One day she was dropping Bronson and I off at school, and she rolls a window down in line. You know, there's just like a dozen cars. And all the students coming in from the parking lot. And she's like, rolls down the window and yells to Bronson and me, olive juice. And like the world stopped for a moment. And everyone looked. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Go, mom. She wouldn't go. She's like, I want to hear you say it. And I'm like, I love you too, mom. You know, for a 16-year-old boy, that was asking a lot. Olive juice. That was the last day our little fun with words experiment. That ended. That died after that with mom. Funny thing is, mom still texts me olive juice every now and then. I got it on my phone. I'll show you if you want to see it. So let us remember that there is a purpose for our pain. Let us remember that when we feel the crushing times, that we are not alone. Jesus has been there. And this is a moment for us to try our best to reach out for help. And let us have eyes to see those who are going through those moments. You see, I, Angela, when, she, when her appendix broke, I have a men's group that I get to be a part of and I get to do some things with, and, and it's pretty cool. And these guys, they delivered meals to us. And I had meals for like five days. It was awesome. Angela's recovery, and I'm working, coming home. It's like, what are we going to do? Boom, food started showing up. My 23-year-old 23 23 son, 
He's like, dead. How do you make this happen? How does food just show up, like, from people? Like, how can I get in on that, you know? And I'm like, I go, listen, son. Uh, it's because I, I belong to a group of brothers that we love each other, and sometimes we get a chance to show it. And these guys are just saying, hey, you know, we got you. And, uh, you know, and he's thinking free food, you know. <laughs> he's thinking free food. But it was a great picture for my son to see what men look like when they love each other and they care about each other. And so I thank the guys that did that. Let me close in prayer, and then we'll uh, wrap things up. Um, Holy Spirit, speak to us whatever way you need to. Whatever part of this is for us personally, may we see, may we receive, and may we be revived. May we be renewed and strengthened. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have already done. Help us not to try to earn it over and over Our salvation is not something we earn. It's something that we have received because of your grace. We get this gift. So, Lord, help us to relax. And, Lord, give us eyes to see those around us who are in pain. Help us not wait for them to ask for help, but help us go and be motivated to come alongside and show some love. Maybe it looks like a meal. Maybe it looks like a phone call or a a text to someone we haven't been in touch with in a while. But whatever that looks like, Jesus, just give us the courage to take action. And for those that are here or listening online that are in that crushing place, let me just say, in Jesus' name, you're not alone. And there is help for you. Jesus, would you just be so present in our lives and in the lives of those that are hurting so that they sense there is something bigger going on and that there might even be a purpose for their pain. We thank you, Jesus, that the pain you endured opened the door for us into eternity. Help us to walk with that strength and courage and olive juice, Jesus.